Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Husky Talk this week. We are your hosts, Hunter Long and Scott Schultz. Today, we will be taking you to the education side of the Iditarod as we talk with the first ever Iditarod teacher on the trail. Please welcome to the show, Andrea Ofter Heidi, better known as Finney. Hi, Finney. Hi there. How are you, boys? I'm great. How are you? Me too. I'm good. Is this Hunter? Yes. Or? This is Hunter. Hi, Hunter. It's nice to talk with you. Mm-hmm. Thank and you. who else is going to be there? Me, Scott Schultz. Scott. Okay. And how how is Scott today? Great. Good. <laughs> All right. So you're going to ask me some questions, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All oh. right. I'm ready. Are you? Mm-hmm. All righty. Our first segment of the show is titled, Who Inspires You? During this segment, we would like for you to tell us a little about who or what inspired you to get involved in the I Did It Ride. Well, um, I, when I was teaching school, I had switched from teaching my uh, little special ed kids and decided to move on to first grade. And I had gone to catch a can where my sister and her husband lived and um, I thought I would talk to her about my change in teaching and when I did that and I said you know I said I keep thinking about these I was going to teach first grade at the time and I said I keep thinking about these little kids that are just starting school and I want to make it exciting for them I want because they have many years ahead of them so I want them to come to school and, and want to come and be excited about coming. And uh, we were talking about different things that I could teach, and all of a sudden she said, you know, why? Why why don't you uh, do something with the Iditarod and Alaska? And so she's the one who really, um, you know, put a bee in my bonnet about maybe using this as a teaching tool. And um, so that's what I did. So way back years ago, this was in the 80s, I started using the Iditarod and Alaska. I love to teach about the land and the cultures and the animals. And it's just, it's a wonderful state to teach about as well as the Iditarod race. So I started using it as a teaching tool way back in the mid 80s. That's really interesting. Yeah, and it was really my sister, and just in talking with her, that said, hey, why don't you try using the Iditarod in the classroom? So, yeah, I have her to thank for my adventure. <laughs> okay, we are now going to move on to our Q&A segment. When, mm-hmm. when you were teaching, where did you teach and what grades? Well, I taught, I first um, was teaching the little special needs kids. And then um, I started teaching first grade, and then I moved to second grade. And I did what, it's kind of fun, it's called looping. I don't know, have you ever been involved in that in your school? Where no. you go from, you stay with the same teacher, but you go from like first grade to second grade and you still have the same teacher? No. And, um, yeah, I did that a couple of years, and I really enjoyed doing that because as the year started, I already knew my kids, and we just kind of started off really well. So it was really mainly um, first and second grades, and the name of the school is Rogers Elementary in Bloomington. Oh. I was there for many years. 
I taught school for about 34 years. Can you tell us what the Iditarod Teacher on the Trail program is? Well, it's um, kind of a neat program, and um, the idea I had for that was that when I was teaching at Rogers School, uh, our school became what is known as a class school, connecting, learning, assures successful students. And uh, through um, teaching, uh, we were to use life skills um, as a, a way to, to teach kids real life experience and how you use these life skills to achieve goals. And I thought I was teaching about the Iditarod and, and we had this new program in the school and I remember running down to the principal's office and I said, you know what? I said, if I could get to Alaska and if I could get out on the trail, not just sitting in Anchorage, but I needed to get out on the trail, um, I could send back all kinds of information to show the kids how all these life skills like um, courage and responsibility and integrity and cooperation, all these life skills are used not only by the mushers, but they're used by the dogs to achieve the goal of going from Anchorage to Nome. And um, I thought, I mean, it's great. It would be a great experience, and, and it's a real-life experience that the kids could, could share and see, and I would share it with them. And um, so I contacted the Iditarod committee, and of course, they kind of poo-pooed having a teacher from Indiana coming up there, you know, and, and going out on the trail initially. They, they weren't so sure this was such a great idea, but I flew up and talked with people, and finally they said, okay, Finney, you can do this. And, but you can't cost us any money. You can go out on the trail, but you have to take care of all your expenses. So I, of course, said, sure, I can do that, you know. And that turned out to be kind of a hard thing to do, to get money together to be able to um, get up there and buy all my equipment and my gear and all of that. But Ronald McDonald House Charities came through and they were really my sponsor. They gave me enough money that I could, um, you know, buy my, my laptop that wouldn't freeze in minus 30 degrees. And um, then I had different groups around town that Little Elks and the Kiwanis Club, they would have me come and speak about what I was going to do. And then, you know, they'd give me $100 or $50 to help get pay for everything that I needed to buy. So, you know, it's every year now, and that's what's neat. I had no idea. I thought I would do this, and then maybe it would be over, but every year a teacher is selected to go out on the trail, and they have different ideas of different things they'll focus on, like this year's teacher is really focusing on the dogs. Um, so it's really exciting to see that this idea has now, this will be its 20th year of, of working. So I'm pretty proud of that, actually, because I had no idea it would really turn into such a big thing. How does a teacher get selected to be the teacher on the trail? How does a teacher get selected? Well, they have uh, a process they have to go through, and it's filling out an application. 
and it, it's really rigorous. It's a lot more than what I ever had to do, but they have to, um, you know, write down why they really want to do this, and they have to have um, people that, um, like principals and other teachers, that will recommend them for this position. And um, so that's the first thing that they need to do, and then that's sent to Diane Johnson, who's the director of the education program, and then we have a committee, and we get a copy of their applications, and then we read them over and, um, you know, make questions like, what do you mean by this, or what, you know, what were you thinking here, and then this committee gets together, and we decide on three that will go up to the conference which is the first week in March, uh, the teacher conference, and then they present something there that they have to come up with, and uh, and then we interview them and talk with them, and um, then we um, have a meeting, uh, I think it's in January or February, no, 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 yeah, it's about that time, and then we talk about, um, you know, the applicants, of the three, the finalists, and um, what we thought. And then we have to choose one of those to be the next teacher on the trail. So it's, it's quite a deal for the teacher to go through. And they have to come up for the conference um, if there's one of the three that are selected. So they come up to that. So how long do you think this whole process um, is? For, gee, well, you know, some of the teachers start working on their um, application that they um, send in. They'll start working on that in the summertime. And, you know, and it has to be in by the beginning of December. Actually, it had to be there today to Diane Johnson. Um, so some of the teachers who apply for this position will really start working some you know, are interested in that. They, we have a summer camp that teachers can go to, and they'll go to that to kind of, you know, feel what it's going to be like to be a teacher on the trail. And um, so, you know, it's quite a long process for these teachers to fill out the application and then take the time to come up, if they're chosen, to come up to the conference, and then they have to wait after the conference until... Um, we, the committee meets, and then we choose one. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty big deal. And your teacher, Eric, Mrs. Miss Montgomery, was, she was great. You know, she, was, she had to go through the whole process. That's interesting. <laughs> it's a lot of work for the teachers. It really is. Uh, what has been the biggest change you have seen in the past 20 years of the Diderot Teacher on the Trail Program? What has been the biggest change? Well, well, actually, you know, when you're the first doing something, um, that's quite that that's quite different. Like when I went out on the trail, uh, nobody really knew who I was and what I was doing out there, and um, and I didn't have anybody before me to say to even talk to about. Uh, what what gear to bring or, you know, what I should even do out on the trail. So, you know, that was all new. Plus, I had 
oh my goodness, the um, technology ha- I had then was heavy and bulky, and I had to carry a lot of batteries, and I had to wear them inside my big Trans-Alaska suit so that they wouldn't lose their zip, you know? And um, so now, not only has the technology changed, uh, but plus, you know, then I was just flying around in a little bush plane with these wonderful, the Iditarod Air Force pilots who were wonderful, but, you know, they would just have to drop me off someplace and I would have to hike. You know, I they'd let me out of the bush plane and I'd say which way to the checkpoint and they'd point in a direction and I'd start hiking, hoping that I would get there. Um, and now I think most of the time... Um, the teachers are really gotten as close, and I don't know how many different bush planes they ride in. I think they get to ride in a different, a, a bigger size plane from time to time. Um, and the, the, I mean, I was just sleeping on the floor with the mushers in my sleeping bag, and if I didn't find my spot, I'd have to sit up all night. So now I think um, the teachers are kind of. Everybody knows that there is a teacher out there, and they're kind of looked after and taken care of, and plus the technology is a lot better. I I had to sit up at night and wait to be able to get a connection to even send messages back, and it would be like 3 in the morning before anybody was off a computer so that I could get hooked up and now it's not like that at all i mean the the teachers can you know make um, computer connections quickly and everything is fine so technology has changed and um i don't know that the program has changed that much i think the expectations are just the same for you know the teacher to go out there and and um you know they've worked really hard to get that position. So in my mind, it's their time to have their own journey and make wonderful memories that they may never have again. I mean, once you're out there, it's it's almost the last time that you have that opportunity. So, uh, you know, every, everything changes, but the technology, I think, is really what has changed the most. Um, What is your favorite topic to teach about the Iditarod program? When I go into schools, now, you know, the since I'm, I'm retired, so I don't have a classroom anymore, but I've been lucky to be asked to come and speak, and I just did a presentation at our local Wonder Lab, which is a science museum, and it's really a neat place. And um, so when I go, I really show some special things, like I have a seal skin, a real seal skin coat, um, that actually with my sisters, and I like to show kids that so they see, you know, and can feel what a seal skin coat looks like. And and so I have a few treasures that I take, and then I have my gear, and then I, after I was out on the trail, um, I realized, you know, that's only part of teaching about the Iditarod. I needed to know how they raise and train the sled dog. So I got connected with a kennel, and after I would teach all year, I, in the summer times, would go up to this kennel and work, and I'd learn about how they raise and train the sled dog. So I did that for eight summers. So I collected a lot of 
of dog gear, the harnesses and the booties and the gang line and all of that. And and so after I kind of talk about the trail and and the adventures and the mistakes I made out there, then I focus on the dogs and um, their gear. And I even hook kids up to the gang line. So I think that's the fun part that I have with a presentation that I would give or teaching that I would do is is just talking more about the dogs and the dog care and so forth. Uh, how much how much are the gear how much is the gear and stuff? How much how much did it cost me? Yeah. Um well the Trans Alaska suit that I bought and that was way back in 98, I guess I bought it to go out on the trail in 99, it cost me $500 for the suit. Um, so by the time I got a computer and all this other stuff that I needed, my boots um, and my sleeping bag, I had to buy that and everything that I got, you know, it, it cost me um, a few thousand dollars to get myself all ready to get up there. That's expensive. I know, it really is. But the thing is, I really needed everything that I had. The only thing, and this is so silly, the one thing as I was packing to leave and all I could take with me, I had a backpack. That's all I took with me out on the trail. And so I would have, I had two changes of, I wore long underwear and then I had a pair of long underwear in my backpack. So I'd wear the same long underwear for a couple of days and then I'd change it to the underwear that I had in my backpack and I figured, well, it was out in the cold so it didn't have the germs all froze so I could put it on again. So I, I couldn't take much with me, but the one thing, and it was at the last minute, and I knew I probably should have taken it, I did not take a neck gaiter. And oh boy, did I run into trouble with my face. My face got all red and windburned and sunburned. And if I, it was such a small piece of, of gear for me. Um, you know, I could have stuck it in my pocket even, or just, you know, but I didn't. And, um, um, I, I, I remember in one of the little villages, this uh, little Athabascan woman came up to me and she, she patted my cheeks and was going, oh, teacher, teacher, your cheeks, your cheeks. Well, I had no idea what they looked like because I hadn't looked in a mirror for days, but I could feel they were tight. And so they were windburned and red. They were really red. So, you know, I... Altogether, it's expensive for a teacher to get things together to be able to go out on the trail and do this journey. So I think they get a sleeping bag now. That's one, and I think they're given a parka, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, can you tell us why you enjoy teaching about that, Diderot? Oh my gosh! Well, I think it's so exciting. I mean, if you teach kids, I get excited about it. I get excited when I do a presentation, and I get so excited sometimes I can't even breathe because, you know, I want to tell them about this and I want to tell them about that. And um, because when I was teaching and I was excited about it and I couldn't wait to, for the kids to come in in the morning because I had more that I could teach them and more stories I could read, you know, um, and so that excited them, you know, as long as the teacher's excited about something they're teaching. So I, I really um, 
just love the adventure. I love the fact that, um, you know, you're, you're out in the wilderness and you, you, you depend on your dogs and um, there's a bond that you establish. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, it's, I think it's just thrilling and I think it's a perfect teaching tool to get kids really excited. Do you guys like, you know, when, when you're teaching or learning about the Iditarod, don't you think it's exciting? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? I mean, would someday now, from having uh, learned about it, wouldn't you like to go to Alaska? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and wouldn't, I mean, and if you could even, you know, get a few dogs together and, and be able to have a dog sled and, and run with a team of dogs, even, even for fun, just, you know, around your house when you have a nice snowstorm, wouldn't it be fun to do that? Yeah. Yeah, see? So I think it's all exciting and um, you know, if we can get kids excited and you excited to write about it and read about it and do math and do science, all that involves the Iditarod, the dogs, or Alaska, I, I think that's an exciting way to teach. Are you still involved with the Iditarod teacher on the trail program? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, every year I still um, get the applications um, of the teachers that are applying, and um, I help with that. Sometimes I have been to Alaska in the last few years. I haven't gone. I am going this year, so I'll go to the conference, and I'll see the finalists there and be able to talk with them and talk to some of the other teachers. So I, I, I try and stay very much involved because I love it. I just can't let it go for some reason. That sounds really neat. <laughs> it is. And you, you could just think if you would grow up and you would become a teacher, you could apply for the teacher on the trail and then go out and have this wonderful journey out in the wilderness and going to all these little checkpoints and meeting all kinds of different people. I think that would be neat. I might have to do that. Yes, of course. Just keep it in the back of your mind. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, our final segment of the show is our book segment. Can you tell us your three favorite I Did Read books? Three favorite I Did Read books. Well, I'll tell you what. Right now in my garage, I have a couple of plastic containers of all of my I Did Read books. And so, actually... I loved all the stories about the Iditarod and, and the dogs and that. But, you know, there are other books that I had in my classroom that I thought were fun for the kids to read or I would read to them. And um, I don't know if you know this author. Her name is um, Jean Craighead George, and she wrote Julie of the Wolves, which is a she, – she writes kind of – maybe two or three books at one time, but they have, like, this is about Julie. And, and that takes, that's an adventure story, you know. And then, and then she also wrote, there's one called My Side of the Mountain, and, um, and I think she has a couple books that involve that, and, and it's about being out in the wilderness. They all take place in Alaska. And um, so she's a really nice writer. And then Gary Paulson, but, but I've liked 
his books that he's written about a fellow called Brian, Brian's Winter, and then Brian's Return. And it's a neat story about this boy out in the wilderness again. And then, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a book that I wrote. Did you know that? No. (laughs) Well, I wrote a book, and it's called The Double Life of an Alaskan sled dog. You need to look it up. And it's about when I worked, the first summer I worked at a kennel in Alaska, there was a puppy. There were actually, there were five puppies. There were four boys and one little girl. And they were born just before I started working there. And um, I couldn't bother with them because The musher that I worked for had to make sure I was there wanting to learn and not just cuddle puppies. So she wouldn't let me near these babies until they were a little bit older. And when they were brought down to become socialized, uh, then I started taking care of them. And this one little girl I really fell in love with. And by the end of the summer, the musher said to me, Finny, you might as well take her. And I said, I might as well take her. And she said, yes. She said, I can't make it. I did a rock sled dog out of her now because I had spent a lot of time with her in the, <laughs> that summer. So I brought her back to Indiana and her name, oh, I know, um, the mushers said, but you can't take her back to Indiana calling her sissy. I was calling her sissy. She said, you, you know, you can't take one of my Iditarod sled dogs back to Indiana calling her sissy. So I came up with another name, and it's a, um, it, it means falling snow, Anui. And um, so Anui then spent 12 years of her life with me. And we traveled to schools. We went to, I mean, I would take her when I would do presentations. And so she would, she went to the East Coast. She went up to Michigan, to Illinois, all around. Um, And she would go back to Alaska with me, too. And so she learned how to be a sled dog. And I learned how to drive a four-wheeler with a team of dogs. So this is her story. And it's a tribute to her because I... Adored her, and we had such a wonderful time together. She came to my classroom, like, like, like you have a dog that comes to your school, right? Yep. Yeah, we Dixon. Have, yeah, we have Dixon <laughs> well, and Gus. We would come to my classroom and be a part uh, of my life, not only at home but at school. And um, so I wrote her story, and I needed to write it because soon after, um, I did have a book signing, and she was there. Uh, but soon after that, I, I remember making a trip to Alaska, went all the way to Nome. Um, this was one of my, just a few years ago. And when I got home, I knew she wasn't doing well. So it was shortly after that that I had to let her go. But, um, but it's her story, and she tells it. So it's kind of a fun story to read. So you'll have to look it up. Um, I think you can look it up. Yeah, Miss um, Montgomery just Miss Montgomery just did. Oh, she did already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's a it's a fun story to read, and and since you guys know, it, it just it's her story, and it's my I I loved her so much that I had to tell her story. So that's a book I wrote, and I really do like the story. 
That sounds cool. And you'll have, yeah, you'll have to read it. It's fun. I'll make sure it's to fun. do that. All right. Good. Good, good. Do you have anything you would like to add to the interview? Well, I was just going to ask you, you know, what what do you like best, each one of you, what do you like best about learning about the Iditarod? What's a favorite part of it that you like? I like being I out in the cold and, like, being in the snow and stuff. Is that right? Yeah. So you like You like being out in the wilderness. You would be really good out on the trail then, right? Yeah. I like that, too, and I also like watching them cross the finish line. It's really exciting. That's exciting, too. It is. It is. And you know what else? It's kind of fun to watch them come into the checkpoint. I got so excited. I wasn't sleeping. I, you know, I, I knew this would be the last time that I'd really be out on the trail like I was. And so when I get into a checkpoint, it was like I just wanted to see the teams come in. So I would stay up all night you watching and and when we would somebody would say team coming you know I, I would crawl out of my sleeping bag and get my clothes on and go out and watch the dogs come in and and I learned because the veterinarians were always out there too and you know they would talk about you know look how their tails are and look look where their ears are um you know and how they're prancing or are they just kind of walking in um so you could you could tell the difference in the attitude of the dog plus the musher as they were coming into the checkpoint and i didn't want to miss that so you know i i tried to stay up there all and be out and be a part of it as much as i could plus i saw the northern lights one time that was incredible incredible i i they were swirling on one side, and they were coming down on a shower on the other side. It was really neat. That was really exciting. That does sound neat. Yeah, and there are lots of animals. I remember the bush pilot, um, he called into the checkpoint, and he said, Finney, walk up to the top of the mountain because I'm coming in to pick you up. And he said, there's a herd of musk ox standing on top of a mountain, and I want you to see them. So I trekked up the hill and got the plane, the bush plane came in and landed and I finally hopped in and we took off and sure enough, on the top of this mountain, all these muskox were standing and the wind was blowing and you could see their long hair blow and then one time one of the pilots had said if we go up by the Bering Sea, the seals are sleeping outside their seal holes in the ice and by golly, he, he flew down as low as he could go, and then the, there were seals. I, could, I tried to take pictures of them, but my camera back then wasn't very good. But, you know, I could see some of the seals then jumping into the hole, the ice hole that they had to get away from the sound of, of the bush plane. But it was really neat to be able to truly see these animals for real. And the pilots were excited that I was so excited about what I was doing so they were very helpful in if they saw something that was really neat and they knew that I could write about it um, to my students they would come and get me or um, and take me so that I could really see uh, these things and then write back to my students about it so it was all so exciting it was all I hope you get a chance to do it you do did you see any other cool animals on the way um Lots of eagles. There were lots of eagles. And, and when I was working at the kennel, you know the, the bird called the raven? 
it's like a big crow. Yeah, those yeah. things are cool. Yeah, well, they they kind of are. I had to. I made I made mistakes. Geez, not only out on the trail, but working at the kennel, and the the puppies are put in this little boxed area that has a lid. And one morning, I, I had ch- changed their water and fed them. I left the lid up, and the raven, this raven, mm-hmm. had been sitting up in a tree, and there were little bitty puppies in this little wooden box. It's off the ground because of the germs. And um, I left the lid up, and I went on to another area and was feeding and watering and cleaning. And the next thing I know, the musher was calling me, Finny, Finny, you get down here. And I went running, and she said, you made a big mistake. And I said, what was that? And she said, you left the lid up, and the ravens will actually come in and pick the babies up Mm -hmm. and fly away with them. So I learned from that point on always to close the lid, especially when the little babies were there. (coughs) So... Oh, there's always something, always something to learn about the animals. And I'm trying to think, moose, oh my, there are a lot of moose. And and they are dangerous on the trail because if there's a lot of snow and they come down from the mountains to kind of walk um, on the sled trail, um, they make deep holes. And then if the dogs run through them, sometimes they can um, injure their ankle or their wrist. So people don't like the uh, moose to be out on the trail. I didn't see any wolves. I heard them, <coughs> but I really didn't see any. But, yeah, it's, it's just the whole state of Alaska and the Iditarod and the people and the cultures. It's all exciting. You just have to take a trip there. Thanks so much, Finney, for talking with us oh, today. Did, did I talk too much in my way over time? No. No. Oh, well, you guys are really great. And thanks for asking me. You asked me good questions. And um, I really do hope that the two of you or a whole bunch of you get a chance to really take a trip to Alaska so that uh, you can enjoy the land and the people, the animals, and, of course, the dogs. So do we. Yeah, good. Well, thank you for um, talking with me. I really enjoyed it. All right. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Special thanks to Finney for being on Husky Talk. Credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, The Iditarod Trail. <laughs>